Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Nets world? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. And the Nets are in a bad place right now. Lost three straight, nine of their last 12. The fire Jock Vaughn, fire Sean Marks, trade everybody brigade is out in full force. I'll be recapping some of those struggles on this podcast, as well as some of the larger storylines surrounding the Nets, particularly Cam Thomas, him being sent to the bench, some irregular playing time and rotation decisions regarding him as of late before that make sure you guys subscribe to believe and that's on all streaming platforms youtube spotify apple podcasts hit subscribe leave a five-star review that means a lot but getting into these struggles we're recording this after a 124 108 loss to the oklahoma city thunder last night on new year's eve that's brooklyn's third straight and the last loss before that okc game came against the washington wizards Despite Brooklyn punting on the previous game before that against the Milwaukee Bucks on the back end of a back-to-back, resting nearly the entire rotation, refusing to put the rotation guys who were active back in the game late despite it being close. And when you talk about the Nets during this recent stretch, I said – three and nine over their last 12. They've actually been able to do some things well around the margins. When you look at some of the numbers, they're turning the ball over the third fewest in the entire NBA. They're 10th in offensive rebound percentage, 14th in defensive rebound percentage, fifth in second chance points, ninth in opponent second chance points. So really doing a good job on the boards, creating extra opportunities for themselves while limiting opponents opportunities. They rank fifth in field goals attempted and 13th in opponents field goal attempted. They're getting to the free throw line a lot more than they were early in the year. They're ninth in free throws attempted during that span. But when it comes down to it, the NBA is a make or miss league and Brooklyn has just shot extremely poorly during this span and they've continued to be unable to get stops defensively and their struggles on that end really haven't slowed whatsoever. Um, during this span, the Nets are 30th in effective field goal percentage. As I said, they can't make shots. Effective field goal percentage is just regular shooting percentage, but it adds in for the extra point by three point three pointers. Free throw percentage, they're 28th during this span. And opponent effective field goal percentage, they're 29th. So they're not putting the ball in the hole. They're not able to capitalize on these extra opportunities, and they haven't been able to get stops. So while they might be defensively rebounding the ball, they might be limiting opponent's chances, they can't get stops, and they can't hit shots. And this last game against Oklahoma City, was a great example of this, in my opinion. Nets took 17 more shots. They grabbed 17 offensive rebounds compared to five for OKC. They only turned the ball over six times. They scored 19 points off turnovers compared to four for OKC. They took 11 more free throws. But once again, like I said, they couldn't capitalize on those extra shots and couldn't get stops. They shot 38% from the field, 38 of 100. They missed 11 free throws, shot 20 of 31, 64%. They converted on just 12 of 46 three-point attempts. That's 26%. Amazingly, they shot 2 of 17 on corner threes. They were really able to generate some good looks offensively. The guys that have been accustomed to hitting shots like uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, like Royce O'Neal, just haven't been able to convert. And Jock Vaughn said that after the game when he was asked. Here was his first quote of his post-game press conference. Uh, but overall, man, we you, you just look at the stat sheet and 
We did some really good things tonight. Um, the ball just didn't go in front. We had 20 corner threes. We made two of them. Uh, missed some free throws. Uh, you know, to shoot 43s, pretty good. Shared the basketball, didn't turn it over. How many more shots did we have than them? 17 more shots. Pretty good recipe for us. When you're talking about the Nets and their shooting struggles, also their inability to get stops, those two things are linked. As I said, they are last in the league in effective field goal percentage, also true shooting percentage during this 12-game span. They're 29th in defensive rating, and those two ends are correlated. And Brooklyn hasn't been able to get going on either. That's been the problem. The Nets are missing shots. They're giving other teams chances to run because of that. And the transition defense has been terrible. And that's ranked 28th in opponents' fast break points. So opponents are scoring a lot on that end. And then that inability to get stops, that in turn limits the Nets' chances to run. And that's forcing them to play in the half court a lot more than they want to. The Nets are 26th in fast break points during this span. And like I said, last in the league in effective field goal percentage. And the Nets being forced to play in the half court far more than they want to, the struggles have as a result of that have really been accentuated by the fact that they're not getting nearly enough from Mikhail Bridges, a guy who was supposed to be their top player over these last 12 games. Bridges averaging, averaging 17 points per game. He's shooting 39% from the field and 32% from three, even only converting at 78% from the free throw line, well below his career averages and also what he had put on display over about a 50 game sample size prior to that with the Nets. So that reality of Mikhail just being in a really bad rough stretch in terms of shooting the basketball, that has kind of shined a light on all of these half-court inefficiencies that the Nets had early in the year. Because even when Mikhail was playing well, those were going to be present. The fact that he has now regressed over these last 12 games and really shown an inability to be efficient from the field, that has made things a lot worse. And then when you're talking about the shooting struggles as a whole, the Nets really built a roster and identity entering this season around trying to win the math game in these games. And what that means is they were trying to capitalize on, you know, shooting threes at one of the highest rates in the NBA, getting those extra opportunities. You look at the roster they have, they have guys like Mikhail Bridges and then surrounded by Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, you know, even Spencer Dinwiddie. They have guys like Lonnie Walker coming off the bench and shooting at a really high level. So all of those three-point shooters and the way that they wanted to play, which Ben Simmons, honestly, early in the year was at the center of this with him pushing the pace, facilitating, being out in transition. They did it for a six-game stretch. And even after Simmons went down they were able to do it for an extended period and they were able to win that math game early in the year but they've done a complete 180 over these last 12 games during that span they're attempting 34 threes per game that ranks 14th in the NBA in the stretches prior to that they were in the top three or four in the NBA and on that low volume that they're at right now they're not even shooting well they're shooting 35 percent from three that ranks 24th in the NBA and then they're getting killed on the other end opponents are shooting 43.5 percent from three that's the best percentage in the NBA that any team is giving up so with that, opponents are making three extra threes per game. So that's nine points that Brooklyn is giving up each game. And with their defensive limitations, with their lack of offensive firepower in the half court right now, that's often the difference. So all of these things, their free throw struggles, they've missed eight, nine, ten free throws, it seems like, in four or five of their last games. The three-point deficiency, all of these things have been things that they just haven't been able to overcome. And they really need to get guys shooting at the level that they're accustomed to. And if they can 
continue to do things around the margins and if these percentages regress a little bit to what they were released closer to what they were early in the season, they should be able to snap out of this rut. But the schedule isn't getting a lot easier. They have a different difficult stretch coming up over these next 10 games. So they're really going to have to find a way to get some of these guys going. But now pivoting to a talking point that has been a large point of discussion these last three games, and particularly after this Oklahoma City loss, is Cam Thomas, who was sent to the bench for that Washington Wizards game, the last game before OKC, in favor of Dorian Finney-Smith, a move that is surprising because Cam Thomas is the Nets' top scorer this season, but... It also was in line with some of the numbers and sort of what you have seen and some of the comments that Jock Vaughn had had and some of his actions prior to that in a Pistons game prior to that. He had benched Cam down down the stretch, didn't play the entire fourth quarter, despite him having, I think it was 17 points on 7 of 13 shooting. Went with Spencer Dinwiddie for that fourth quarter. The Nets came out with the win. Then he sends him to the bench. And in this Oklahoma City game, he had 16 points on 6 of 10 shooting in the first half in only 11 minutes. He had played, I think, the fifth or sixth most minutes out of out of the guys on the Nets in that first half. And then despite that you know, high-level start, he doesn't come back into the game until three minutes left in the third quarter. And the Nets were trailing by three at halftime. By the time Cam comes back in late in the third, the game is at the OKC has a 10-point lead, and then the game just continues to get out of hand. So this really gets to a conversation of, What's going on with Cam Thomas and this Nets team? Why is a guy who is their top player not playing in the second half or playing extended minutes early in the game when he has it going like that? And, you know, Jock Vaughn has really been put in a position where he's had to somewhat choose between Spencer Dinwiddie and Cam Thomas. And he was put in that position with the starting lineup decision. And he went with Spencer Dinwiddie. He put Cam Thomas to the bench. As I said, he brought Dorian Finney-Smith. And the reason that he's put at that choice that he has to make is because of that duo's defensive limitations. And that pairing of Dinwiddie and Thomas has played 408 minutes together. They're a negative 12 net rating. They have a 128 defensive rating, which is just abysmal. So Jock's getting to a point where they kind of have to decide between those two. And it's really getting to a point where I'm not sure how much longer they can roll out lineups featuring those two anymore because they just get torched defensively. And on top of that, they haven't shown the firepower on offense anywhere near at a level high enough to warrant those defensive struggles. And, you know, I said he's being put in a position where he has to choose between Dinwiddie and Thomas. And over the last three games, Vaughn has clearly preferred Dinwiddie. And it's important to note that that preference has come despite Dinwiddie playing poorly. Over these last 12 games, Spencer is averaging 13.7 points. He's shooting 38% from the field, 27% from three, 71% from the free throw line. So you ask yourself, with Spencer you know, shooting poorly like that, Cam has been shooting much better during that stand. Why would Vaughn continue to roll with Dinwiddie? And you know, if I'm trying to say what Jock Vaughn's thought process is, this isn't how I'm thinking about it, but if I'm trying to put myself in his shoes and trying to see how he could be going about it, Dimwitty is the only real ball handler on this team. He leads the team with 6.5 assists this season. He doesn't turn the ball over much. His turnover percentage is 9.2. That's ranks in the 76th percentile among point guards. And that's an area, passing, facilitating the ball, that Thomas really hasn't shown improvement this season. Thomas has a 29.7% usage rating. That's the highest on the Nets by far and ranks in the 92nd percentile among combo guards. Yet, 
He's averaging 2.3 assists per game. He has the ball in his hands more than anybody else on the team. Those assist numbers really haven't gone up from what we've seen before. And, you know, like I said, with that usage and that 2.3 assists per game, he has a 0.41 assist to usage ratio, which is pretty much just how often are you getting assists versus how often do you have the ball? That number 0.41 ranks in the 0th percentile among combo guards, meaning dead last in the NBA. That's not a good sign. And then, you know, there's a defensive part of it. You know, Dimwitty has some extra size. The advanced numbers will actually tell you he's better. Don't worry, I'm going to preface this later. Opponents are scoring eight more points per 100 possessions with Thomas on the floor. He ranks in the sixth percentile among combo guards in that area. With Dimwitty, opponents are scoring 1.7 fewer. Brooklyn's defensive rating is 112 with Dimwitty on and Thomas off. That jumps to 117.5 with Thomas on and Dimwitty off. But, you know, I said I'm going to preface it. And to me, the defensive part of this is where you have to take these numbers with a grain of salt because the eye test tells you that they're both terrible defensively. Dinwiddie can't guard anyone. I don't think his effort on that end has been good as of late. I do think that he's slightly better than Thomas just because of the physical tools. You know, Thomas is around 6'3". Dinwiddie's around 6'6". He has much longer arms. But the bottom line is they're both glaring negatives defensively when you watch. So, you know, the facilitation, the assists, that to me bears a little more weight than the defensive end because defensively, despite what the numbers will tell you, they're both not good in my opinion. And regardless of any of these numbers – Thomas is benching late in that Pistons game, getting him moved to the bench in the starting lineup, him not playing, you know, in the third quarter of this OKC game or just playing 11 minutes in the first half, despite shooting at a high level. This gets into a conversation of where the Nets are at as an organization, as a franchise in terms of timeline. The Nets entered this season, a team not in contention. That was no secret. Nobody expected the Nets to win a playoff series, let alone be anywhere near the championship conversation. And with that, you would logically think in this first season of the post-Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era after trading them at last year's deadline, they should be trying to see what they have you know, with some of the players that they have, trying to see which guys have an extended window in front of them to you know play at a high level. And Thomas should be near the top of that list. He's 22 years old. He's averaging over 22 points per game on – decent efficiency, you know, not great. But when you get to that high of volume among guys who are at that high volume, it's okay. The efficiency. And if you want to see improvement in these areas, particularly playmaking, you know, you have to let him play through some of these things and see if he can develop. You have to put him in positions where he can run a lot of pick and roll, where he can handle the ball in transition and be orchestrating the fast break. And while the nets have done that to a certain extent, it's been far too conditional lately for my liking, and it's it's kind of a difficult – it's not a great look for them to be benching a guy like Thomas, playing the way that he was offensively in this OKC game, in favor of a guy like Dinwiddie, who is 30 years old and honestly isn't playing basketball at anywhere near a high level right now. So if you're looking at it from the numbers standpoint, the numbers will tell you a story of what Jock Vaughn is seeing and the reason that he's getting in to these decisions. But – if you're looking at it from a perspective of, you know, the Nets not being anywhere near contention right now and then having a young player in Cam Thomas who potentially could improve in some of those numbers and some of those areas I talk about, if you give him a little bit of a longer leech, if you give him an extended period, it really isn't encouraging right now from that decision-making standpoint, in all honesty. And, you know, last season, 
was a major red flag, in my opinion, in terms of where the Nets stand with Thomas after they traded, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. There was a glaring need for scoring right before those trades. Cam obviously had the three straight 40 plus point games, became the youngest player in NBA history to do that. And I thought at that point, after they had traded Durant and Irving with that glaring need for scoring, with them resetting the timeline, kind of like a what do you have to lose type of end to the season, I thought that Cam was going to be a featured player in that rotation. I thought that he was going to play a lot of basketball. That was not the case. He was glued to the bench. He barely played following that. He really, towards the end of the season, wasn't in the rotation. He barely played in that playoff series in those four games against the Philadelphia 76ers. And that stretch in my eyes was extremely surprising like i said it was a red flag in terms of where the nets stand with thomas in terms of how they're viewing him you know their opinions on him as a player in the long run and i don't you know it's not entirely surprising because like i said a lot of the advanced numbers on thomas aren't good i think if you were to put him on the trade block there'd be a lot of players who were a lot of teams that were very interested there'd be a lot of teams maybe that don't have that same level of interest because thomas is a polarizing player around the league he's a small guard who you know is very bad defensively and while he has extreme offensive skill it's tough to say, does that skill warrant a usage and a feature role to the extent that he's going to need to make up for some of those other deficiencies, whether it be defense or playmaking? So, you know, Thomas is a promising young player and the Nets right now aren't sending signals of a team that is prioritizing his development. They're rather prioritizing winning. And even that, you know, you could argue whether the way that they are prioritizing winning with playing a guy like Spencer Dimwitty over Cam Thomas, whether that's even effective, which it hasn't been over these last 12 games. But it gets into a conversation of where the Nets going from here. And I think that these decisions to play a guy like Spencer Dimwitty, who's 30 years old and on an expiring contract over Cam Thomas and just the goal of leaning into winning, whether effective or not, instead of player development with a 22 year old guys like Thomas, it's a signal of the types of moves that they can make moving forward, whether at this tra trade deadline, this offseason, because the Nets are a team that have two directions that they can really go. They're trying, you know, they have a little bit of a grace period and audition period right now to see what they have in guys who are around, you know, 27 or 28 years old, like a Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, you know, a guy's a little bit younger, like Nick Claxton's 24, Thomas is 22. They have veterans who are around 30, like Spencer Dinwiddie, Royce O'Neal, Dorian, Finney Smith. They're trying to determine who is going to be on this team in the long run. And the two paths that they can go with that is they can trade some of the assets, some of the picks they got from Dallas, Phoenix, Philadelphia, their own picks package that for a star, whether it be a guy like Donovan Mitchell or whoever else becomes available, or they can look to trade guys like Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, you know, even a Nick Claxton, gather assets and as many picks as possible and really lean into a guy like Cam Thomas's development to the fullest extent and not tanking, but just capitalizing on value of where guys are at and you know, there's been a conversation of obviously the optics surrounding that because Houston owns their first round picks until 2030. If they go in that direction, you know, it could result in extremely high picks for Houston, which is similar to what the Nets previously went through with the Boston Celtics. And after that, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce trade, which obviously netted the Celtics, landed them Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And, you know, while those optics logically shouldn't play a factor in the Nets' decision making because you're talking about it economically. Those picks that Houston owns are a sunk cost. They have no bearing on your franchise at that point. At this point, 
they don't impact you negatively or positively other than optically. While that's logically the thought process, owners, general managers, that's often not how they think. They're obviously often considering optics because that's how they are evaluated. And I do think that those optics are playing a large part in the direction that the Nets are going to go. And I, that is a direction I think of trying to stay competitive, trying to take a step towards contention. And right now, Cam Thomas has sort of you know, negatively been impacted by those decisions. And it says something about where the Nets could go from here. So, you know, that's kind of how I'm seeing the Cam Thomas situation right now. I do think that, you know, he has some deficiencies as a player, obviously, but I think that what he's shown offensively has been extremely promising. And for a guy who's 22 years old for a Nets team that right now doesn't have a lot of players who boast that kind of offensive potential, it's not a good look to not be, prioritizing his development in a year like this for Brooklyn, in my opinion. That's about it for this episode. But, you know, talking about where the Nets are at, obviously I said they're, I think they're three games below 500 right now. They've lost nine of their last 12. They do have some numbers that are somewhat encouraging of the things they've been doing as of late, which I touched on earlier. And really, if they're able to kind of come back to the level of shooting that they were at early in the season and opponents start to cool off somewhat, which you would expect because, like I said, 43 44% from three over these last 12 games for opponents, that nobody's shooting at that level for an extended period. So I do expect things to regress. I expect them to improve. I do think that they're a little bit, you know, they're closer to where you thought that they would be this season. I think uh, expectations may have been elevated a little bit early in the year because they had played well. They had a stretch where I think they won seven of eight. They were three games above 500. Mikhail Bridges was, was having a career best stretch earlier this season. Cam Thomas was starting to play well. So expectations elevated. I do think they're better than what they've shown over these last 12 games, but I do think overall where they're at three games below 500 struggling to score offensively right now. I think some of those, that is what you could have expected entering this year. And I don't think that they're that far off from where a lot of people had them pegged entering this preseason. But that does it for this episode of believe in nets on the believe podcast network. I'm your host, Eric Slater. You can find all of my work on clutchpoints.com or on my Twitter constant news updates analysis at Eric Slater underscore. Make sure you guys subscribe on to the podcast on all streaming platforms, whether YouTube, Apple podcasts, Spotify, smash the like button, leave a five-star review. Really appreciate that. Have more coverage for you guys entering the new year. Happy new year, healthy new year to everyone. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.